Welcome to the Last Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast of 2018. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Tara Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and Darius McDermott, Managing Director at Chelsea Financial Services and Fund Calibre. Value-style investing has underperformed growth-style investing for several years, but despite this, a number of investors are still convinced that value will outperform growth over the long term, including a fund manager Taha recently met. Taha, first of all, can you tell us what value and growth-style investing are? Hi, Leonora. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. So um, it's, it's quite simple. Growth is you, you're buying into companies that you think are expanding and they're growing their earnings and you expect the share price to follow. Very simple uh, kind of stock market investing. Value is slightly different in the sense of you're, you're buying companies that have been whose share price has been depressed, uh, sometimes artificially. So this could be because it's an earnings cycle low. It could be because the sector is having issues. Or it could be a, a corporate issues. And I think the best example here is something like BP with the, the New Mexico, the Gulf of Mexico oil spill, uh, where you saw a corporate problem seriously damage the share price, but yet the underlying fundamentals were what essentially remain the same. So you're buying something that is kind of depressed. It's, I suppose the best way to explain it is you're buying an investment trust at a discount. And you expect that discount to narrow to par, and that would be the easiest way to explain value investing. So who's this manager, and uh, how does he implement his style? So yeah, the one thing that is uh, quite important is to remember about value investing is there are different ways to define it, and different managers have slightly different things, but the, the basic premise is the same. Um, I met Alistair McKinnon, who's uh, the manager of the Scottish Investment Trust, and he describes himself as a contrarian. So he he finds stocks that he says so they have to be cheap, so they have to be cheap on a price-to-book basis, price-to-equity, uh, price-to-earnings basis, and you know with a high dividend yield. And then he the first thing he checks is, okay, fine, you find this cheap stock on these kind of metrics, you have to make sure it can survive. Can it survive kind of a further dwindling of its sector or a market shock? Can it, can it kind of come out of the depressed nature that it's found itself in? And then he also um, looks to see what other people think about this stock. So he never buys a, a value stock where everyone thinks the share price will revert because that for him doesn't well, that for him doesn't provide the best opportunities. He thinks if you can find a stock with low sentiment, then a, a small change, a small positive change will may have a big positive impact. Okay, that's quite a defined process he's got. So what kind of holdings has it led him to? Um, actually, well, one of, I think, the most surprising things um, about his holdings and the, the sectors he favours is based on something that we've talked about quite a lot in the IC, um, is retailers. So he's got quite a, well, quite decent holdings in M&S. So it's a global value fund, uh, I would stress. So he's got holdings in M&S and then Gap in the US. Now you think, you know, these are bricks and mortars retailers and you think, what on earth would you be doing buying, buying this sector at this moment in time? But it, it, this is the kind of the opportunity that he talks about. So he says, you know, it's been hit by negative sentiment, but they've got good things going for them. You know, one of the factors that he talks about when he's picking stocks is the company has to be able to define its own destiny. And that's what he thinks M&S can do. So you look at other retailers like House of Frasier, they've got so many problems, they aren't really in control of where they're going to end up. But M&S, he says, will, it's got, it's cash generative, it's got huge amounts of real estate, and it's turned around its business plan from when it was, um, you know, really struggling and made bad decisions in the past, and it's trying to fix them. So those, those are the kind of companies he's looking for. Okay, and what doesn't he like to invest in? Uh, well, as being a value manager, um, tech is tech is one area which he just, he, he despises. It was quite interesting talking to him about tech. Um, he, he just, he found it unfathomable. Um, 
the, the kind of companies would operate on these valuations and he was talking about you know these companies are growing their revenues but they're not making any money and he kind of understand how like he used uber and Deliveroo as an example and said that uber and Deliveroo are two companies that are yet to make kind of substantial profit to warrant their valuations yet they're trying to buy each other and valuing delivery at two billion it's a easy he called it madness okay fair enough that said um tech shares have done well retailers are not doing so well so how has this strategy that he's pursuing affected scottish investment trusts returns well this is the thing so there are and I say we've talked about several times in this podcast in the magazine there are times when value will perform and times when growth will perform um and there are many things that you know we can discuss about what triggers these different areas of performance a lot of it is down to do with the, the kind of yield on bonds and the risk and return that you get from different types of stocks but um it's safe to say that the last 10 years has then definitely been growth focused and driven by these tech stocks but so if you if you look at the, the performance figures it's it's returned 52 percent since um mr mckinnon took over in july 2014 it's versus 62 percent for the msci world so it's underperformed the main index it has outperformed the value index, so it's kind of better at doing what it does than the benchmark, but not the overall benchmark, which connects some people. But that is because it is a style reason. It's mm. not uh, due to kind of bad stock picking. Do fund analysts think Scottish Investment Trust could improve its performance anytime soon? Yeah, they're, they're quite bullish on it, actually. Um, they say if the style turns, performance will turn as well. Um, it's actually... Well, coincidentally enough, offering decent value at being quite a wide discount at the moment. So it's wider than its kind of historical average and the average for the sector. So that's a decent opportunity. Got a good yield. They, um, is Winterflood, who would call it a work in progress. So Mr. McKinnon took over in July 2014, as I mentioned. He's been changing it to a value fund since then. They, they think there's, there's some merit to, to be looked at here. Okay. Now, Darius, the debate on when value will become the more successful investment style has raged for years. So do you have an opinion on when this might happen? Yeah, I mean, it's raged because it's been so polarised now for such a long period of time. If we were having this conversation, say, 10 years ago, you would start by saying, well, value outforms over most time periods in most geographies. But growth style really has been the dominant factor. Part of me wonders whether that must be to do with quantitative easing, uh, the, the, the liquidity pumped into the markets um, over the last decade, and maybe then the reversal of quantitative easing, or at least the stopping of it, might be a catalyst for value to outperform. The other thing is if you look at any sort of value or growth indice, you'll just see the gap has got bigger and bigger, certainly right until the, the wobbles at the end of 2018 where actually value has outperformed, um, it's because actually growth has underperformed. And a lot of those tech stocks that, that's already been mentioned, they've had a, a very difficult end to 2018. So we, we're very much of the opinion that you might actually want to be style neutral at the moment. If there appears to be a winner in 2019, you can certainly tilt your portfolio to that style. But it's a very uncertain world in outlook terms for 2019. And just because the growth funds have done so good, if you had a 50-50 growth value split 10 years ago, you've probably 80-20 now because growth has so outperformed. And I just think if you've made very good money out of growth funds, growth stocks, that a bit more balance is probably sensible for 2019. OK, so in view of this, um, what kind of funds um, could you consider having exposure to? Yeah, I mean, so we, we like things like uh, Investec Global Special Situations, um, 
It's all run by the same team uh, led by Alistair Monday, who runs a UK version uh, and a cautious uh, sort of balance type fund, uh, cautious managed fund with different assets. Uh, we think that they're very good um, value managers. We also like River and Mercantile. Hugh Sargent runs a value for UK and a global value franchise at River and Mercantile. And then there are specialist geographies, things like ManGLG if you want Japan and Invesco European if you're looking for a European value fund. So yeah, there are lots of – well, there are less value funds than there were 10 years ago, but there are still um, plenty of defined value processes. Um, if you're thinking of an investment trust, you could look at something like Fidelity Special Values run by Alex Wright or Lowland uh, run by James Henderson. Uh, that's much more of a mid and small cap play. But these are value-style value, and value style UK investment trusts, certainly to consider if you um, – like, like many think that, that, that value has to have its day one once again. Okay. Now, what are the risks of these types of funds? Well, the risks, are, I think, in any value stock or any value strategy is actually you are buying the company that's going bust, and that's called a value trap. And Taha, in his conversation with the Scottish uh, investment, you know, retail, I think, is a very specialist and certainly contrarian play. Mm. Um but if you look at a secular level, retail is really challenged. Now, that doesn't mean you can't pick the odd stock that is oversold. And actually, as Taha and, and, and the, the fund manager said, actually in control of their own destiny. So that's what I think managers need to be wary of, that companies aren't actually going bust. And what really hurts in those circumstances are companies that have too much debt. As if you're a very indebted company that's having a difficult time. Uh, then the banks may call that debt in and and actually end up going bust. So those are the sorts of risks on a value side. Um, but certainly the value style is cheap. Okay, thank you, Darius. And see the 4th of January Investors Chronicle of a website for our full interview with the manager of Scottish Investment Trust. Next week sees the start of a new year, and the latter part of the tax year, a time when some investors review their personal finances and rebalance their portfolios. Darius, you think that 2019 could be volatile for markets, meaning that it might be worthwhile rebalancing any biases in your portfolio. Specifically, how could doing this help? Well, if we take a just five-second look back to 2018, actually the world looked quite rosy Company earnings were strong, not just in the US, but actually in Asia and Europe. Uh, geopolitical tensions between the big superpowers was quite muted and global growth was strong. And what we saw in 2018, particularly from October onwards, was actually markets got quite volatile as some of those things subsided. In fact, company earnings were quite good. So 2019, we sit with heightened um, political tensions. Obviously, at home, we have Brexit and you know, there's the trade war sensitivities across the globe with a sort of a, an emerging strength with Russia. Uh, I think you, know, you, you just want to be diversified. You want to be balanced. So, yes, we certainly have a cautious outlook for 2019. What you tend to find, and even post-Brexit, after the referendum, the large cap stocks in the UK did very well. But actually, off that low, small caps have actually outperformed. So if you held... If you've done very well in small caps, you might want to just take a bit of that profit and potentially recycle it up the market cap into some more large cap strategies. Not that I prefer large cap over the long term, but you know, looking out to 2019, 
if Brexit is more trouble, sterling could suffer. And a weak sterling actually generally tends to be a boost for the FTSE 100 as they have lots of dollar earnings on that index, whereas the UK small and mid-cap tend to be a bit more domestic, which could be more challenged in 2019. You also said that investors may need to make choices between certain types of assets. What are some of these decisions? Well, again, historically, your old-fashioned asset allocation was just equities, bonds, maybe even cash. Um, We're certainly holding some cash going into 2019. Bonds, we, we try to keep things really simple on bonds. Is How much can I get in the bank in cash? And how much more do I get for holding a bond? And is it worth that risk? Uh, and frankly, the rates have been th- that the difference between sort of the risk free rate and most corporate bond funds, it, in our opinion, isn't enough to really be certainly overweight bonds. And we hence are underweight positioned ourselves. Equities, as we know, at the end of 2018, been very volatile. But you know, the yield on the FTSE is sort of north of four. Actually, if your gilt is yielding one and a half and the index is yielding north of four, I think that makes equities look more attractive. And certainly following recent sell-off, equities have got 10 to 15% cheaper. So, yeah, I think it could be a volatile year for equities, but at an asset class level, um, we're not massively keen on UK commercial property because of Brexit. Uh, Commercial property is historically correlated to the economy. And we think the UK economy is going to be very weak in 2019. And that leaves us with maybe some alternative assets, which one might want to consider. Um, these tend to come under the sort of the absolute return heading. And absolute return funds have been very disappointing over the last couple of years, so tended to put people off. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to know what to be excited about, Leonora, if I'm honest. So, yeah, have a bit of cash. Um We prefer equities over the long term to bonds at the moment because of those yields. And we just want to be very balanced. We don't want to be pointed too far one way in a year where we think diversification is going to be key. Mm. I mean, from what you say, it sounds like the only vaguely but rather volatile thing is equities. But what about lower risk investors who might need an allocation to something like bonds? Should they be avoiding them as well? We would never say avoid. Um, you know, if well, the one thing you tend to find is if markets are tra- challenged and certainty the end of 2018 was, it could well be a terrible year for equities. When equities go down, government bonds tend to do very well. And the last quarter, actually, the UK gilt market was actually positive whilst equities were down substantially. If you are worried about the currency, there are ways of accessing the US government bond via ATFs um, where you can actually get a kicker from the currency as well as the US government bonds yielding sort of 2.7. It's a bit more attractive than the 1.7, but you do need to watch for currency. Mm. Um, High yield bonds have had a very good run. Uh, We've been basically taking our high yield bond position down uh, as we into the end of this 2018. So yeah, I would never say have no bonds. If you are a cautious investor and you want yield, bonds are traditionally a good uh, a good source of that yield and diversification. But we like to buy things or not to have too many things where we genuinely think they could go down. And you know, the yields on most corporate bonds don't appear quite enough for us to want to have a lot of them at the moment. 
Okay. So if you are one of these lower risk investors, um, what type of bond fund could you consider? Yeah, I mean, again, it's a, it's a very good question. I don't think as we look into 2019, specifically in the UK, we're going to get any interest rate rises. Um, the Brexit uncertainty and the slow growth in the UK, I think, probably sees that off. Uh, there's a slight worry about wage growth, which has been quite strong at the end of 2018. But the governor of the Bank of England has been quite, quite predictive that, that we're probably not going to get lots of rate rises because of Brexit. So maybe bonds aren't as challenged as maybe we fear. But, you know, if you can find a bond fund yielding north of three, um, so we think of things like Sandlam Strategic Bond, uh, that's got a good yield on it and a, with a good manager, um, 24 Dynamic Bond, uh, an excellent asset management house that just does fixed income. They're the sort of places we tend to go through for our fixed income allocation. We also like Jupiter Strategic Bond, um, very experienced manager, Ariel Bethalo, is also actually quite defensive in his bond positioning. So those are the sorts of funds that might be um, for consideration for lower risk bond investors um, heading into 2019. Okay. So now turning to equities, um, what considerations do you need to make with regard to your allocation there? So I think into 2019, the key thing is currency. If Brexit is bad, you might expect sterling to weaken. If there's a general election and either the possibility of a Jeremy Corbyn-led government or an eventuality of a Jeremy-led Corbyn, I think you see sterling get absolutely destroyed. Uh, sterling goes down, your overseas holdings actually go up. Um, it's a slightly inverse relationship. If, on the other hand, Brexit looks okay... There isn't a general election that ends up with some stability. You could see the pound rise. And if you hold a US index tracker and the index goes up one, but sterling goes up 1% versus currency, actually, you make no money at all. And if the US index actually stays flat and sterling appreciates by 10%, you actually lose 10%. So I think currency is a key factor in where we do or don't go. Um, diversification, I think, is key. Most Global institutions are hugely underweight to the UK. Um, I think if we see the UK market fall further, actually I would want to start adding to the UK. Over a sort of three, five year, we still like areas like Japan. I think emerging markets are quite cheap versus developed markets, but they may face substantial more volatility before they, a really good entry point comes. But timing markets, as we know, is quite difficult. So... Um, I wouldn't be afraid to buy emerging markets on a five-year view today. It may, may well go down another 10 or 20%, and in which case I would add again. But yeah, definitely want to be diversified and maybe think about our home index, the UK stock market, which really is very unloved. And are there any funds you'd suggest for getting exposure to what you suggest? Yeah, there are lots of good uh, UK fund managers. We like... Um, J.R. Hamro UK Dynamic, uh, which is run by Alex Savides. He has a certainly a value style, but he likes his companies to pay him a dividend. He thinks that's a nice way for a company to behave. Um, if you're looking for um, some small cap companies or some small cap funds, we love Marlborough UK Microcap Fund and Livingbridge UK Microcap Fund. These are both excellent 
quality uh, funds for for the medium and long term if you think small caps is the place to be if you favor a more large cap approach and following on from that value we we we, we like river mercantile um uk recovery fund or if you want a, just a, a sort of good quality fund for all seasons something like lion trust uk special situations um that would be our sort of uk uh, selection for for consideration for the year ahead Okay, thank you, Darius. Some really good suggestions. Earlier this month, the Financial Conduct Authority suggested introducing a new type of fund that could invest in illiquid assets such as infrastructure, real estate, private equity and debt, and venture capital. And these funds would be available to private investors like you, or certainly me, who can't invest in these illiquid assets directly. However, You can, in fact, already get exposure to assets such as infrastructure and private equity via investment trusts. So, Darius, do you think it's actually a good idea to have exposure to more unusual and liquid assets such as private equity and infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, we love the idea of it. Um, You tend to find that some of these things are quite lowly correlated to equities and bonds, which in a portfolio construction is is fabulous. what I would just say, I mean, some of them are yielding really quite nice yields, four, five and six percent, but they do tend to trade at a premium, which means, you know, you're slightly overpaying at the outset. But, you know, infrastructure projects aren't going away. Uh, renew The drive towards renewable energies um, is increasing uh, and private equity itself is an illiquid asset class and not Right, widely available. You can get access to private equity with venture capital trust, which, as we know, come with a, a bit of a tax break. And there are some private equity investment trusts for, uh, f- fully listed. So, yes, we, we we do like these assets. We hold some of them in our own funds. Um, you just do need to be aware that sometimes you actually have to pay a bit of a premium. If you can find some of them at a nice discount, then, um, yeah, good, for sure. Go for it. But if there is a – to be more – open-ended funds that trade illiquid assets, uh, that might also be of interest to, to, to retail investors. Okay. Now, um, you said you hold some um, in the portfolios you run. So what exactly is the role of alternative assets in an investment portfolio? Well, we, we have tended to hold them for our income fund. Um, as I say, some of them generate really nice yields. And in fact, in the, you know, the big equity sell-off globally in the end of 2018, they're they haven't gone down anything nearly as much. Um, we hold an infrastructure investment trust run by uh, Gravis Capital Partners. Uh, actually, it's given us a return of around 8%, including the yield this year, whereas UK equities are down 10 12%. Um, so the, 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 you know, it's, a, it's a broad infrastructure play with some renewals, renewables in it, um, which you know, that doesn't mean you know some of these things, some of these trusts issue debt and you know you can see them behave like bond funds if there were to be a sell-off. Um, some of these trusts actually had very sharp movements in their price post-Brexit or mm-hmm. referendum in 2016. So they're not without risk. I certainly wouldn't want to paint that picture. But for good yielding diversifiers, we find them very interesting. Okay. You mentioned the risks. So what are some of the key risks of having liquid alternative assets in your investment portfolio well when you buy them in an investment trust structure you can actually trade the investment trust um the price that you trade them at of course will reflect the underlying interest so 
post-Brexit when we've seen a number of open-ended property funds close. You could still trade your property investment trust, but a lot of them were trading at 20%, 30% discount, so you could get your money out. But anything that's in an investment trust structure can go to sometimes quite big discounts. So whilst you have the joy of liquidity, you actually might you know, find that you, you end up taking a big hit on price. So that's a big part of illiquidity. I also would just watch out for some of the premiums you can pay on some of these assets. Via the AIC's website, you can look at what is a, a range of their premiums, and some of these things trade at 10 and 20% premium. Mm. So you do need to be aware that if you're buying something at 20% premium for a 6% yield, you're actually, on a on a net asset value basis, you're paying away three years of total returns. Now, sometimes they just stay at 20% premium, so it doesn't matter, as you actually buy the share price, not the net asset value. Okay. Now, for investors who can take on the risks of these specialist areas, are there any funds that you would suggest for getting exposure to them? So there's a fund called um, Gravis Income, which uh, buys different uh, investment trusts across that renewables uh, and infrastructure type environment. That's an open-ended daily trade fund with actually a decent yield north of 5%. So that that's a, one of the few funds actually open-ended that trade in that space so it's like a fund of investment mm. trusts they do do some direct equities and bonds as well but they do buy other investment trusts okay i mean on that note do you think that um for particularly for investors of smaller portfolios are funds of funds or multi-asset funds which include an exposure to some of these um funds that invest in liquid assets a better way to access these areas because obviously they offer diversity um, and you get, um, I suppose, with one holding, you can have quite a spread across some of these well, different I think areas. A- absolutely. I mean, as we know, people tend to be nervous of funder funds just because of the costs. Mm. But actually, if you're getting asset allocation, fund selection and diversification in one area, things like premier um, monthly distribution fund run by um, David Hambidge and his team. I mean, they have a very diverse portfolio and they will buy 1% and 2% of these specialist investment trusts. So you're getting a basket of equities, bonds, but also property and decent alternatives. And, you know, they do obviously lots of due diligence on these trusts and fully appreciate those premium ranges that I mentioned. So something like that is absolutely um, a, a good alternative or um, the BMO Multi Manager Navigation Distribution Fund. Uh, they certainly invest in these specialist type things as well as equities, bonds, uh, uh, property, and other assets. Thank you, Darius. Some really helpful suggestions. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you for listening and enjoy what remains of 2018.